This morning, with God's help, we will be considering verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and now to the preaching of his word. Uh, Saints, would you pray with me? Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider the four Hallels. Help us, Lord, to rejoice and to understand with our minds, to believe with our hearts, and to love, Lord, with our entire being. Enable our hands and feet to obey. Give us grace, we pray. Lord, I decrease that you may increase, become less that you can become more. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you. Lord, my rock and my redeemer, we ask these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Saints, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our study through the Apocalypse of John. In the 18th chapter, John was given a vision of the destruction of Babylon. We've learned that Babylon is the harlot. And also, John was given the vision of the sorrowful response of those who had drunk the wine of, her, of the passion of her immorality, when they see, uh, when they realize that she is no more, those who had committed acts of immorality with her, those who had become rich by the wealth of her sensuality, weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke of her burning, which is God's judgment upon her. The earth dwellers, the simple, the wicked, the kings and merchants of the world. We learned last time that they do not weep and mourn over their sin and offense against God, but they weep and mourn over the harlot, their source of joy and contentment. They weep over the harlot who is no more. In Revelation 18:19, those who had committed adultery with her are throwing dust upon their heads as one would when they mourn the death of a loved one. They mourn and they sing or say, they don't sing. Woe, verse 19 of chapter 18, woe the great city 
in which all the ships had at sea become rich by her wealth. For in one hour she has been laid waste. The response of the wicked to the judgment of God is its great woe over the great fallen city, the once great fallen city, and the prosperity that once provided for them. When God's final judgment comes, saints, uh, God's judgment will not be a lingering judgment. It will be swift. It will be final. Malachi 3.5, God declares that judgment against the wicked is a swift judgment. Revelation 18.19, in one hour she has been laid waste. Uh, not literally one hour, but in a short time span, Babylon has come to ruin. Revelation 18.20, then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone. And threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. Our Lord Jesus Christ teaches that if anyone teaches little ones to not believe in him, if anyone teaches little ones to turn away from him, that it would be, it would be better for them to have a, a rope tied around their neck, attached to a millstone, and that millstone, along with them, being thrown into the sea, to which they would fall to the depths of. Here, Babylon is that one who is thrown into the depths of the sea with the millstone tied around her neck. She has lured, attempted to lure image bearers of God away from God and to worship her, to give themselves to her. Her end result will be that she will be thrown into the, into the depths of the sea. When God brings Babylon down once and for all, there will no longer be a song heard in her. What the scriptures say, no craftsman, no merchant, no kings, no more marrying or giving in marriage, no more life even will be given to Babylon. Babylon shall not have the light of the gospel given to her any longer. When judgment comes, there will not be a time when a neighbor will be able to say to his neighbor, know the Lord. For all men in the kingdom of God will know the Lord. Babylon has light now. Um, I just learned this morning that there is now a, a, um, a marijuana dispensary right across the street from us. Light is being given to them right across the street from them. But there will come a time when light will be taken away from them. When the loud cars that pull up to get their satisfaction, their... They're fixed, as it were. Those cars will no longer be blasting the music. And the fix that they seek will no longer be found for them. Right. Our evangelism will cease one day. Missionaries who go out to unreached people groups will be in the, in the presence of reached peoples. We will not call out for men to come and hear the gospel anymore. Only to see them be apathetic and unmoved. Babylon will fall because God is holy, just, and righteous. Babylon will fall also because, verse 24 of 18, in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all of those who have been slain on the earth. We saw that the harlot in chapter 18 and 17, the harlot was drunk on the wine of the blood of the saints, which is the blood of the saints, the witnesses of Christ. And because of her perse persecution, because of her putting to death the righteous, they will drink double 
the cup of God's wrath for their violence against the church. The saints who are under the altar will no longer cry out to God. How long, O Lord, holy and true? Will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? We will no longer cry out, how long, O Lord? Judgment will come swift and it will be final. And we will sing hallelujah with all the saints of all time. So while the wicked weep and mourn at the judgment of the harlot, the righteous in verse 20 of chapter 18, we are called to rejoice. While the wicked weep, we rejoice. Verse 20, the command comes, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. This morning, saints, with God's help, we shall Rejoice with those who rejoice. We will be among the rejoicing as we sing with them, the saints of heaven, the angels of heaven, and all of the host of heaven. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power to our God. This morning we will consider hallelujah to our God with three points. Number one, there are four, but we're only, con- we're going to consider three points. Number one, the first hallelujah. Um, In chapter 18 and verse 20, there is a call to rejoice. While the people of the earth are are weeping and mourning, a call presumably from the the strong angel of chapter 18 and verse 1 comes, and he calls all of heaven, and that includes angels as well, to rejoice. John sees a time when Jeremiah's prophecy will be fulfilled, and and it is this. Then heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon, for the destroyers of the earth will have come out of her. In Revelation 18 and verse 20, the Lord calls all of heaven to rejoice. And then there is a pause, isn't there? Because immediately after 1820, there is not rejoicing. Rather, there is an immediate description of more judgment. Babylon thrown into the sea like a millstone. But the streets that uh, once were filled with the songs of harpists, musicians, uh, flute players, and trumpeteers will be silenced. Uh, rather than uh, when the call to rejoice comes, there's not rejoicing. There's just more description of judgment. The craftsmen crafting idols for men to bow down to all of a sudden are unemployed. Uh, weddings cease. Nations that were hypnotized will finally see the reality that Babylon is no more. And then verse 19, I'm sorry, and then chapter 19, verse 1. Then after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory and power belong to our God. What we see in chapter 19, verse 1, is the response from 1820. 1820, rejoice. And in chapter 19, verse 1, the response. And here's the response. Hallelujah. All of heaven erupts, if you will, but listen to this, erupts in a unified symphony of praise. All of heaven erupts, but they erupt in a unified, and I, and I like the word symphony. Yeah, you you may have heard of symphonies where you see the orchestra playing, um, not randomly, but playing together. John hears heaven erupt in a symphony of praise that John describes as being, listen to this, one loud voice. 
even though it is voices that are a great multitude that only God knows the number of. John has done this before. And follow me with this. Each time that John hears all of the saints offering their voices in praise, he seems to be at a loss as to just how to describe it. John seems to always communicate two things, though. Both beauty, power, three things, and unity. Beauty, power, and unity. In Revelation 14, John hears... Um, this symbolic number, that is the complete number, the 144,000 in heaven, singing a new song, that's a song of victory, and their voices, listen to this, is compared to many waters, uh, loud thunder, you remember, you remember this, and even this, to many harpists. You imagine, you've seen the, the, the large harp, right? John is saying, the voices of all of the multitude is like these, these, um, these many harpists all playing together. I'm getting to a point in Revelation 19. John describes the voices as one voice, but it is a great multitude and it is united. For in Christ, we are united and they are unitedly in a united manner singing. Hallelujah. Salvation, glory and power be to our God. John's not describing fragmented voices praising. Meaning. John's not hearing in heaven what we might hear in a loud and crowded restaurant. You ever been in those loud restaurants where you're having a conversation here, but there's so much commotion, so much chatter going on. You have to lean in and just to hear what the person sitting across from you is saying. They're not all saying the same things in that restaurant, though. Now, if you listen closely to the person who's sitting next to you in that restaurant, you might be able to tune into their conversation. and go, Oh, I hear what they're saying, right? But if we're in a restaurant, there, there, there are voices that are being spoken, but they're not united voices. They're fragmented voices. There's chattering happening everywhere. That's not what's happening in heaven when we worship. There is orderly worship even in heaven. Not disorderly worship in heaven. Um, I, I used to think that heaven in our times of worship was going to be something like a chaotic Pentecostal revival. Where, where there's just going to be voices and, and, and praising all over the place, um, divided, but yet praising, not united as one. Heaven is not going to sound like or be like what we hear in a crowded restaurant. Everyone's praising, but in their own way. No. Nor will it be, I'm going to find my own special space in heaven where it's just going to be me and Jesus. You know those people that, that you've seen, they just want to go alone and be, it's not going to be that. We will not be able to worship disconnected from the rest of the saints in heaven. When John hears the voices of heaven, they are one voice and they are singing together like a chorus. They, they are in, in sync like a symphony, loud like waves of thunder, and yet beautiful like many harpists singing together. Hallelujah. Some of you have been to our quarterly gatherings and you've heard them sing the Amen and you go, wow. I remember at one of our quarterly gather, gatherings, Tony looked at me afterwards, Big Tony looked at me afterwards and says, that's how you sing it. 
That's how it's supposed to sound. Uh, and, and if you can imagine that um, times um, um, maybe a billion, trillion, whatever that, that number is, the beauty and the, 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 the symphony and the, the kind of in-tune sound of the saints of heaven singing together. I, even the way I, don't let the way, the way my voice sounds even be close to what it's, hallelujah. Praise, right? Uh, salvation belongs, salvation and power and glory belong to our God. Glory and power belong to our God. They are singing in a united way the Hallel. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples to celebrate the Passover. It was there that Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, as you know. After the Lord's Supper, the disciples and Christ most likely sang what is known as the traditional Hallels. They are the Hallelujah songs from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. In those psalms, there is a word that prominently is featured. It is Hallelujah. If you've grown up in church or have been anywhere near church or have just heard um, that song, Hallelujah, that, that uh, secular one, you've heard the word before. Hallelujah is a combination of two words. Hallel, which means praise. And Yah is, is a way of saying, um, Yah is a short way of saying Yahweh. Hallelujah, Hallel, praise. Yah, which is short form for Yahweh. It is usually rendered in English, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord is the English version of the um, uh, Hebrew, Hallelujah. We only find the word hallelujah in two books and then assume that it was sung after the Lord's Supper. This is interesting. We find hallelujah in the Psalms and then we find hallelujah in Revelation. It's interesting that as the Hebrew Psalter is coming to a close, God chooses the hallelujah as the way to close the Hebrew Psalter. At the end of the earthly ministry of Christ, he is singing with his disciples, hallelujah, the hallels. And now toward the end of the consummate, now toward the end of judgment and the beginning of consummation, the Lord calls forth all of heaven to sing. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. Give your acclaim to God. Highly esteem Yahweh. Exalt God. Commend him. Show him highest honor. Proclaim him as being infinite in value. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Why should we worship God? These are all commands. Why should we worship God? Revelation 19 verse 1. After these things, I heard something like a great multitude, a loud voice, uh, singing, Hallelujah. Listen to this. Why? Salvation, glory, power belong to our God. In the midst of judgment, the citizens of heaven rejoice and declare, praise Yahweh, first for salvation. We will not be destroyed with the wicked. Hallelujah. Because God has mercifully decreed to save us from judgment. Hallelujah. We have not saved ourselves. You know this, don't you? Our best efforts our most heartfelt offerings could not be sufficient to atone for our sin. 
We cannot save ourselves. We have not offended or we have offended an infinitely good and holy God. And only an infinitely good and holy offering could atone for our sin and save us. Hallelujah. Why? Because God has provided what he has required from us. The very thing that God has required from us is the very thing that God has given to us to save us from our sin. Hallelujah. The eternal word has assumed our flesh to save us. He is Christ, the Lord of salvation. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. John 3.36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Hallelujah. Christ is the Savior of the world. Saints, if you have believed in Christ, then let us tune our hallelujah to the hallelujah of the citizens of heaven. If you have believed in Christ, then you will not fall along with Babylon. Hallelujah. If you have trusted in Christ alone, not placing your hope in your own righteousness, not in your own intellect, not in what you have retained, nor in in that which you are properly able to articulate, not in sacrifices, not in penance. But if your hope is in the one who is the word that was with God, that is God, and that took on flesh as the God man to save us from sin, then saints, you are saved. Hallelujah. Psalm 20 and 7. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Salvation, Psalm 3.8, belongs to the Lord. Hallelujah. Psalm 62.1, from him comes salvation. The saints of heaven declare, listen to this, how, how this goes. Salvation and glory belong to our God. Now, if you've been in church for any other length of time, you have inevitably come across or heard the word glory. It is used throughout the scriptures in a variety of ways to communicate. Now, I'm going to do something different to communicate. Maybe different to us. Not not new. Communicate majesty, honor and weightiness. If someone were to ask you, what does glory mean? Majesty. Honor. Weightiness. It's interesting because. Glory is an abstract word. Salvation, glory. Don't you have a hard time trying to describe what glory is? You go, it's kind of like, and, and you start to think of, what do you do? You start to think of examples, or maybe you go, it's when we see him. Glory. Um, some people like to say, it's what we want to come down. No, you really don't. You, you really, You really don't. Glory is an abstract word. That is always communicated as being concrete, meaning um, something with substance, not abstract with the with our inability to cling to it, to describe it, to show it. Glory is always described as something that can be shown. Follow me now. You can't touch glory, per se. You can see it. 
and experience it, and when you do, it produces praise, or it produces an aweness. It produces a um, that is heavier than I can than I can holdness. For example, Jesus. Here's the example. Jesus, when when the Lord is at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, the Lord stands before the tomb and commands that the the stone be rolled away. When Martha protested because the odor of death would fill the air, the Lord replied in Luke 11:40. Listen to what he says. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would, listen to this, you would see the glory of God? An abstract word that, that Jesus says you will see concretely. With me? As you know, the stone was removed. The Lord calls out Lazarus, the, the once dead man, wrapped in bandages, walks out of the tomb alive. What did the people see that Christ promised they would see? Well, they saw a dead man who was dead for four days rise from the dead. Jesus says, that's the glory of God. He didn't. He, he will go on to say, I am the resurrection of life. He says all those, all those things. But he says, when this man comes to life, it will be a concrete example, a concrete um Something visible of God's glory. Not abstract, concrete. It is, what is, it's the visible, here it is. It's the visible manifestation of the power of God upon the human sense. Glory is seeing God's power and God heightening your sense of just how heavy he really is. Um, I'm not going back to the 70s with heavy man. I'm going I'm going to so that you're understanding this. God is so um, immense in his person that your and my mind cannot contain it. How is it that a man is dead for four days and then he rises from it? There is no explanation for it, which causes you to go a kind of speechlessness of God. It's a kind of beyond what I can even say in response to how magnificent, wonderful, powerful, amazing God is. Those words do not even, they don't even um, come close to what he is. Glory is a visible manifestation of the power of God upon our senses, producing, listen to this, I said it already, a heightened sense of the, 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 the heaviness of God resulting in praise. God, you are amazing. How is it? God, you are amazing. This is why the saints in heaven, listen to this, they proclaim praise to God for his power immediately after salvation. Um, hallelujah, salvation, and then they go, power. I mean, uh, salvation, glory, and then they say, power. To our God. Glory is after the power. God saves. It's a visible manifestation of his power, which produces a heaviness in us, resulting in praise. Praise him. He saves. He does so by his power. 
which makes us see how grand he is, which is why we praise him. Amen. The glory of God is revealed to man. How so? Through God saving man from certain judgment. We should have. When Christ took on flesh, it was not to destroy us. It was to save us. We should have been destroyed, though. But God saved us. Judgment will come upon the wicked. It's what fallen men deserve. But because God is love, he has decreed to reveal his love to those who he has for love before the foundation of the world, doing so by saving them. Praise God for his salvation. It is a manifestation or it is his power in saving, which is a manifestation of his glory, which should result in our praise. He's done this through his son. God, who is loved, loved the world in this way. He gave his son so that whoever believes in him shall not die, but live. Christ came to seek and to save so that we might live a life under God. God has come to call forth his own to save them from eternal death so that we would live and live the blessed life unto God. The spirit who is sent by the son, who is sent by the father, it's a tr salvation, it's a triune work, quickens the hearts of dead men, gives us a heart of, of flesh, and then calls us out of our tombs. And we are born again, as it were. And the glory of God is revealed by the power of God who saves us. It is the glory, the infinite weightiness of God. It is the weightiness is communicated as value. So when you think about like weightiness, also think about value. It is it is something so valuable that 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 scales could not hold it. And yet God, even though that, that's the imagery that we use, God is even infinitely more than that. It's strange, isn't it? Strange words that, that are attempts to... Um, strange words from a, a, a finite human being trying to conjure up words that fail to express the value without limit, the honor without boundaries, the perfection without flaw, and the goodness without lack that God eternally is. This may be why God simply and yet profoundly declares his name to be I am. One theologian made the point that whenever we say that we are, it's usually followed by something that completes what we are at that particular moment. But when God says I am, he doesn't do that. Instead, he reiterates the statement I am that I am. Rather than concluding that he is something outside of himself that is causing him to be what he is at that moment. Like we, I am hungry. I am um, thirsty. Lack of food has made me something that I was not, but now I am. Replace hungry or thirsty with whatever. Thirsty, sad, whatever, you name it. God does not conclude his person, but follows the I am with another I am, which means there is no beginning nor end. There's no summing up of God. My point is this. If what I have just said makes your head spin. Then you are getting a sense of the glory of God. You're getting a sense of what what of, of something of what it means. And listen, Googling glory uh, is not going to help you. Google the definition. That's not going to help you. <laughs> Here's what helps. Remembering that you were dead in your sin and trespass in which you formerly walked. 
It is remembering that you were once darkness, that that your mind once reasoned to futility and that your hearts, our hearts were foolishly darkened by sin. Knowing the glory of God, getting a sense of it is this. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin and trespass, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Hallelujah. Salvation, glory and power belong to our God. That's how you get a sense of it. Google won't help you. Knowing the gospel and the power of God to save will help you. Number two, the second and third. Hallelujah. This is verses two through four. The saints of heaven erupt in in a harmonious symphony of hallelujah to God who saves through saves and displays his glory and power through salvation. The second praise Yahweh, second hallelujah, comes as the, a declaration of the true and righteous judgment of God. First, for God's salvation. The second and third are coming from in a response to God's judgment. The harlot has corrupted the whole earth with her immorality. What is more, she has opposed, pursued, and persecuted the church for whom Christ died. The end of the present world will see that God is glorified. That God is shown to be infinitely valuable. Not only for salvation, but for his true and perfect justice through judgment. When the unrighteous stand before God. His judgments over them will not be unfair. They will not, um, his judgments will not be too light. They won't be too harsh. They won't be imbalanced. Rather, God who is righteous, righteous and true will deliver a perfect verdict that cannot be appealed. Now, there will be no riots in the streets over the judgment and verdict of God. There will be no burning and looting. Throughout heaven, when the judge of the universe utters his voice in judgment. My wife and I were watching a documentary um, about the former subway guy. You all remember that guy who was sent to prison for things that someone should be locked away forever and thrown away the key for. Fifteen years. Fifteen years. There will be no disgust in the judgment of God, when he issues his verdict against the wicked in heaven. Instead, we will add our amen and hallelujah to the judgments of God. And God will enforce the entirety of his law. And he will perfectly uphold his law in his judgment of sin. John receives a vision of the saints declaring, Praise to God when the harlot is judged. Because she has corrupted humanity with her immorality. And immorality is kind of a summing up of what the wicked minds and hearts of men do outwardly. We could look at what Paul describes as the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5, chapter 19. Or what an elder must not be in Paul's letter to to Timothy to see what the deeds of immorality are. But it is written on the hearts of men. God, no, we know by nature what God requires of us. It's been said in this church over and over again. We know God's standard, don't we? 
we know that God's law has been written on our hearts and that we suppress that truth. God will judge every single man by the standard of that which we know or that which has been revealed to us. And there are four things that I want to say briefly. God will judge men who deny that God is or that deny that God exists. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he exists or the old uh, King James Version must believe that he is. Those who deny the very existence of God will be judged for, the den- for, for their denial of that which has been made clear to them. They will be judged by that which they know by nature. Those who deny the existence of God believe that they can escape accountability to God if they only imagine that he's simply not there. <laughs> um, the other day, my son, my little one, was asleep in his crib and, and I, I came to his bed. But he knows that he should have been asleep and he was um, fussing when he shouldn't have been fussing. So I walked up to his crib and very slowly he did this to me. And I'm still standing there. And then he removed his eye, his hands from his eyes to see if I was still there. And I was still there. And his hands went back to his eyes to see if maybe if I close, he won't be there. The next time that he removed his hands, I was gone and he went back to sleep. We can't do this to God and pretend as though he is not there. We will not be able to cover our eyes or shut our, our ears away from hearing God's truth and act as though he will just disappear if we believe or, or pretend like he's not there. Those who deny the existence of God will not be able to escape his judgment. Those who deny God and yet pursue lives for something grand. They deny God and yet they pursue love and joy and friendship. They pursue moments that can be treasured. And they pursue more moments in the future that can be treasured. And why do they do these things? Because man by nature is pursuing fulfillment. He's pursuing joy. He's pursuing pleasure. He's in constant search of the next thing that will bring him joy. But it's always just temporal joy. It's never lasting. As we said before, it's always fleeting. It's a return to that thing that will keep them chasing around the next corner only to elude them once again. My daughter recently has been in love with with rainbows. And so I started showing her real rainbows on, on YouTube. And we came across a video of a man as he's driving down the freeway who believes that he found the end of the rainbow. He's driving and he says, I can't believe it. It's it's right there. The end of the rainbow. I can't. I see it. And as he's driving closer to it, he says, it's on the sign. And he keeps driving. And he goes, oh, it's 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 a little bit further down. And he keeps driving. And the end of the rainbow keeps eluding him. Then the video ends. It's what will become of all men who seek to pursue joy and fulfillment and the end of it all outside of God. The rainbow will only cause you to keep looking up and saying, I think it's right here. I think it's right there. And the whole time you keep missing the one up who has made the rainbow. For the very thing that 
that he created. We exchange glory. We, we worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is to be forever praised. God will judge men who deny his son. At the baptism of Christ, the father proclaimed that Christ is his son, that all men should believe him and listen to him. But because of sin, all men do not believe in Christ nor listen to Christ. There's so much to say here, but I need to move quickly. Israel longed to see the Messiah. And when he arrived, they did not listen to him and they did not believe in him. Jesus said, believe me that I am in the father and that the father is in me. He said that his works had been given to him by the father. He said that his words had been given to him by the father to declare to men. But sinful men continue to deny the works and the word of God revealed in his son. They denied him as being from God and attributed his words as being of that of a madman. They denied his resurrection as, as something of a plot from the disciples to steal the body of Christ in order to um, start a religion based upon a myth. The Lord said that he is the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Christ. And those who deny Christ will be judged truly and righteously by the Father. God will judge those who blaspheme, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Every sin and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And it is what? It is a consistent and perpetual denial of the truth of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus through the gospel of Christ. And it is this, that if you repent of your sin and trust in Christ, you will be saved. Anyone who denies that eternal gospel is blaspheming the Holy Spirit and they will not be forgiven. The man who takes the gospel and adds to it or takes away from it, even if he be an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. And what is this? It is the message of the Spirit. It is not the wisdom of men so that men might rely upon men. It is the message of God so that this might be a demonstration of the power of God and that men's faith might rest in God and not in men. Those who deny the truth of the spirit will be judged. And when the message of truth goes forth, those who oppose, deny and persecute, those who proclaim this truth will be judged by God. Finally, God will judge those who oppose and persecute his church. In Revelation six, the saints are crying out, how long, how long, O Lord, will you will you refrain from avenging our blood forever? Here in Revelation 19, the Lord says no more. The saints which are in heaven declare a hallelujah as they see the smoke from the judgment of God rising. The judgment of the wicked will not be for a moment. It will be for an eternity. Hell will last forever. This earth will not last forever. Um, older people remind the younger people. It goes quick. It wasn't that long ago that I, I was your age. It wasn't that long ago that I was in your grade. It goes quick. This does not last forever. You have this much time to embrace the gospel, to believe in God, to believe in his son, to trust the, the, the message from the spirit of the gospel of Christ, to go to the church and to belong to her. And if you deny all those things, you will spend not a lifetime, 
not two generations, an eternity in suffering of hell. And there will be no end to that. That's not harsh either. When the judgment of God goes forth and sends people eternally to hell, we won't go, God, but that seems a little harsh for him, don't you think? No, we do not judge God based upon our criteria. We judge God based upon his standard and his criteria. And we will not complain on that day, but we will agree. Amen. And we will praise. Hallelujah, the Lord. Every sin against God who is infinitely holy deserves an infinite punishment. This is why the 24 elders and the four living creatures fall down and worship God and sing and add their amen, hallelujah, to the saints of heaven. Third and finally, the fourth hallelujah. Revelation 5 through 6. A voice coming from the throne calls all bondservants of God to praise Yahweh. The voice coming from the throne is most likely one from the four living creatures or one of the archangels who surround the throne. And he calls out to the bondservants or to the slaves, more literally, to the slaves of God. They are those who fear the Lord and trust him to give him praise. And for what reason? Because Babylon has fallen. God has judged the wicked and save the righteous. It is it is uh, it is the justice of God, the the judgment of God, and the salvation of God. The, the the same coin with two different sides, if you will. God has put an end to evil. God will not allow evil to persist here. He has done what He has promised to do over and over again: bring evil to an end. Each day, we are reminded of just how wicked, just how sinful, just how vain and twisted mankind is, aren't we? You can't scroll through your YouTube. You can't, and I don't have all these social medias, you can't scroll or swipe to the next thing without seeing something devastating. Without seeing something devastatingly sinful. Without seeing, once again, another example of just how wicked the hearts of men are. Just how vain the hearts of men are. The injustices, the atrocities, the malice, the hatred, the perversion, and the like. They are filling this cup of wrath. And do a survey through the scriptures. God allows it to only get to a certain point before he finally tips it over and pours out his judgment. Satan knows this. The demons know this. God allows evil to go for just a while until he finally pours it out. His wrath, his judgment upon the wicked. God always brings it to an end. But here in Revelation, this end will be the end of the end. There will be no more evil after this point in Revelation 19. Hallelujah. With this final judgment, God 
will establish his kingdom in the full and final sense of the phrase. Listen to what they say. Uh, the great multitude in heaven unite their voices as one voice that are alike to many waters. You've heard all this. But they say the Lord our God, listen to what they say, the Almighty reigns. That doesn't move you, does it? Because we've heard it before, haven't we? You know that God reigns. This is why when someone says God reigns, you'll say amen. The saints of heaven in Revelation 19, they're not saying what you and I normally um, imagine when we say that God reigns. God is ruler. Yes, we know that. The multitude in heaven are not just saying that God reigns in the present and progressive sense of the word. They're not just saying God's sovereign. Sovereign. They're not just saying that. We know that. This is why you're not going, wow. Rather, here in Revelation 19, they are saying that with the fall of Babylon, with the judgment of the harlot, God has eliminated. Let me say it another more emphatic. God has eradicated all evil. Therefore, God is beginning to reign in a completely new sense of the word reign. Um, the literal translation is he has begun to reign. Uh, the Lord, our, here's how it's supposed to be said. For the Lord, our God, the, the Lord, our God, the Almighty has begun to reign. The translators of the, of the NASB, they didn't get this point in, in translating the text. Their line of thinking was more general. God reigns. God, hasn't God always been reigning? Hasn't God always been ru- ruling? Yes. But what God is saying and what all of heaven is proclaiming is that all of evil is now eradicated. He's beginning to reign in a new way without there being any opposition from evil. God is reigning, but right now evil is still opposing him. God is sovereign, but even right now God is allowing evil to persist. Revelation 19 is is speaking of a time when all evil will be eradicated and not be allowed to persist or to endure any longer. Um, Imagine if there were cell phones in heaven, which there are not. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Uh, And your swipe was always something glorious. Your swipe was always something encouraging. It was never something questionable. It was never something um, sinful. It was never something perverted. It was never something vain. It was always something. God be the glory. Hallelujah. 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 The existence of evil is. Now, let me say it this way. The presence of evil with the good has been removed. Here's why I say that. Evil will be placed in its place. The wheat and chaff will be separated. But the chaff will not be able to grow up with the wheat any longer. The goats will be separated from the sheep. The kingdom of God and his bride will be pure, which is why when we come to the next verses, we're we're seeing the the bride has made herself ready. There is about to be a marriage. God has now his kingdom wherein everyone belongs to God. He is theirs and they are his. He is 
He has begun to reign in the full and final sense of the phrase, bringing and bringing down all of his enemies and rivals. And the announcement is that which we saw in the, the seven trumpet. The kingdom of, our, of the world has become the kingdom of our God and, and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. There are no more kingdoms, but the one that has always stood and that will always stand, the kingdom of God. God has and always will be sovereign. That his, he cannot be thwarted. But throughout history, it seemed as though he has been opposed, hasn't he? Babylons have risen. God has brought them down. Babylons have risen. God has brought them down. There will come a time, though, when the final Babylon will rise and God will once and for all bring it down and it shall never rise again. What is this? It is the consummation of the kingdom. We've heard that the consummation, it is the completion of the kingdom of God. Wherein there only dwells righteousness. Here in Revelation, John foresees a time when God will begin to reign in a completely new way. And with that establishing of the kingdom, that consummating, comes the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bridegroom and the bride, Christ and his church, being joined together for eternity. Hallelujah. Saints, we don't have to wait until that day when evil is eradicated to praise Yahweh. We don't have to wait until that day to sing hallelujah and to proclaim that God is already victorious and that because we are in him, that we too are victorious. We can start now. We can start yesterday. We should have. When we sing this afternoon, sing as a response to the victory that we have in Christ and, and let this blow your mind even more. And that that kingdom that is consummated, where there, wherein there only dwells righteousness, if you trusted in Christ, you're there. The, 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 the voices that sound like many waters, that sound like many harpists, your voice is among them. You will be singing. And you, Mario, you're going to say, I never knew I could sing so good. I sound beautiful. Hallelujah, you will sing. Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. Power and glory belong to our God. That's right.